Amen. How many people whistle while you work? It was the seven dwarfs, I think, that quoted that uh, from the Disney movie Snow White. And the, the song goes like this. When hearts are high, the time will fly. So whistle while you work. All right. How many people at your job are happy? How many people are happy when you work? And that's probably not a high amount in the world today. But there are some of those crazy people. When you get to work, they're just chirpy and happy and sad, glad to be there. And other people are like, oh, my gosh, don't talk to me. It's got to have my third cup of coffee and then go through. And, and then it's a lot of negativity throughout the day. That's just like, why are you even at this job? Uh, but what makes a person enjoy their job? Just a show of hands, how many people love the job you have? And some of you who are retired, raise both hands. Okay, uh, right? We, you enjoy the job you have. If you don't enjoy the job you have, why are you there? Sometimes there's necessity, like paying the bills, and, and that's very important. Uh, and sometimes you have to do that in life. And we don't always get to enjoy the job you have. But what makes you want to whistle while you work, and what makes someone enjoy it? Here's a study came out with these few things. Are you ready? Number one is this, that you love to do the job, and you feel rewarded by it. You really love what you do. And that's the number one thing for people who whistle while they work. Number two, there's clear goals at your job. And number three is you want to win. There's a clear goal of what you as your company, your offices, or whatever is accomplishing. And we want to accomplish that goal. There's a desire there for us to be the best nurses we can be and do the best health care or, you know, uh, do, be the best oil workers or teachers or whatever. Uh, construction workers, we want to build this building and we want to do it to the best of our ability. There's a goal there and we want to win. Next is you have people that work well with you. How many people know if you ain't got good people who is your coworkers or employees, it just makes the whole, even if you like your job, you'll hate it because you don't work well with people there. Number, the next one is you'll share their values. I believe in the mission statement of this company. I believe in what we're doing. Next is you're proud to align with the mission and vision. I, I want to be a part of what we're doing. I believe in where we're going and how we're going to get there. Next is you feel like you can belong and contribute, that your opinion matters in this job. If you have a boss that doesn't care what you think, sometimes that's hard to go through. Or you have a team that you say, you know what, I contribute to this team. People receive my advice. Or I feel like I have input that we're all collectively moving forward uh, together. And lastly, as you feel appreciated and look forward to your future there. I see myself staying at this company for 10 years or 20 years or Next week, whatever it is, you feel like, you know what, I think there's a place to belong and become here. I think I could see myself retiring here, perhaps. When those conditions are met, work can be enjoyable. I got to thinking about those things for the church as Christians. I think the same is true for the church. When a person is born again and the Holy Spirit comes in, you have a joy, you have a love for the things of God. You like being a Christian. That should be the case anyhow. If you get the Holy Spirit in you, you should like Jesus, love him, and love what he does. And there's clear goals there. There's clear goals to get to heaven and, and reach the lost on your way. There's clear goals on how to please God. It's all laid out in Scripture. And you should want to win. That's part of having the Holy Spirit in you. And if that's true in your life, then normally what should happen is you join a church 
And I hope you find a church where you feel the values and the vision and the mission statement is really what you believe in and you want to be a part of, that you're excited to be a part of this family, this team called your local church, and that you want to see yourself there for many years and that you have a future there and that we love you and you love us and you feel appreciated and that you appreciate one another. And the question is, does that describe your relationship with your local church? You see, for every Christian, joy first comes in knowing Jesus because Jesus is joy. It's got to start there. Jesus is joy. I I enter into this through a relationship with his spirit and his spirit causes me to have his mind and his heart. And the second is, then I find a place to belong and align my heart with doing God's will. That's the second thing that's going to give you joy according to scripture. It's aligning with Jesus then aligning your heart with his will. And I think some Christians in the modern day lack complete joy because they lack purpose and identity in the body of Christ. Uh, And you see that across America today. It's not just that Jesus is joy, and that is the number one place you're going to get joy. But when you align yourself with Jesus, it's going to end up that he is going to say, I want your heart to be with my heart, your will to be with my will. And guess what? Jesus loves the church. He loves you. He loves this family. He loves this thing. He died to build the church. And if you're not invested in the kingdom of God, listen to me, your joy will be incomplete. In fact, the verse we read earlier this morning, it says the joy of the Lord is your strength. What does that mean? The joy of the Lord is your strength. So how, what is the joy of the Lord? What is God most joyful about? He's most joyful when sinners repent and turn to his son and his kingdom is established. And so when the joy of the Lord is your strength, if you're not about the process of establishing the kingdom of God and seeing people turn back to Jesus, you'll never be strong in the Lord. That's a powerful statement this morning. We're going to expound on that. The joy of the Lord can never be your strength if your heart does not align with his heart. Because God's joy, which is your strength, is having people glorify His Son and expand His kingdom. If you want the fullness of the Lord, if you want complete joy, it won't be in the way American church promotes itself today. I think many people are very busy and inwardly focused. We build our own kingdoms and our own families. We're very busy to do things even with other families. You notice this, that you don't even see people having dinners together or lunches together. They're often so busy with their family and building up their own thing together that they don't have time for other people. My wife and I were talking about this just the other day. Even in our life, if they're noticing, man, it seems like we're so uh, busy in our life. What about hanging out with people? American consumerism, I think, has taken over Christianity. And the problem today is many people are inward focused and don't care if the church wins, or at least they don't care enough to get involved. I'm going to be honest and bold with you this morning as we end this series. Sometimes we care if our church wins, but if it's not doing well, guess what we can do in America? We just go down the road to the next church that can follow our personal pleasure and creature comfort and doesn't make me 
push myself to be all that I can be in Jesus. I can just find another church where I like the song service and the pastor's uh, sermon. For this reason, I think many people in the church today are lacking in complete joy, and the modern church suffers because the question really is this. Are you born again, and are you truly the church if the church does not bring you joy? Are you truly the church if the church does not bring you joy? Are you truly the church if the church and being the church and being in the church does not bring you joy. Look at me in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Let's talk about this. I want to talk to you about the book of Philippians. A little teaching this morning, and here's how it goes. The Apostle Paul is writing to one of his favorite churches. How many people have a favorite church? I hope it's this one if you're here this morning, okay? Uh, but he's writing to one of his favorite church. In about 50 A.D., Paul, the apostle, planted a church in Philippi. If you remember anything about the book of Acts, here's what happened. Paul was ping-ponging around trying to find out what was the next place. But God loved these people in Philippi. They were on the first town from Asia Minor, and there was a sea, and then there's the European continent. They were there, and Paul has a vision of a man in Troas, And he says, come over here to Greece, come over here to Macedonia. And and there's a vision there. And Paul goes and he goes there and he preaches the gospel. He winds up going to jail in a town called Philippi. There's this great earthquake and a Philippian jailer gets converted. And another lady by the name of Lydia gets converted. And from this band of mostly Gentiles with a few Jews, a, a misfit of people, Paul plants a church. He plants a church, and revival breaks out with this hodgepodge of people, but the grace of God has united them together. And man, Paul leaves Luke there. He goes on his missionary journey. He comes back once again and and preaches the gospel to them again, and, and they're growing, and he's excited. But guess what? Now it's at the end of Paul's life, and he has found himself in a Roman prison. It may be that this is the last bout for Paul. He may be on his last few days, weeks, or months. He doesn't know. He's appealed to Caesar. His case is before him, and he's waiting. And his wonderful, loving church family sends a man by the name of Epaphroditus to Paul. And they send gifts to Paul and minister to Paul in prison. And this man risks his life to come to Paul. In fact, along the way, Epaphroditus almost dies with sickness and in the Bible days, if you got sick and that close to death, there's no antibiotics, man. You just could be it. Luckily, the man survives, and Paul sends him back, and he writes this letter. Chained to a Roman prisoner under house arrest, some maybe even in prison in a dungeon himself, not a whole, whole lot clear there. He writes a letter of rejoicing. In fact, in this letter, in a Roman prison where there is no internet, no TV, no health care, no food, they don't bring you any coat or blanket or pillow. You're reliant on your family. Who's his family? His church family. He's an outcast, remember? He's been disowned by his own blood and kin. His church sends this man across the known world to care for him, and he's joyful. 
He's joyful. In fact, in only 104 verses, he exalts Christ 51 times. Half of this entire letter is not complaining about his problems, his aching, his pain, the rats in his cell, the boils on him, the beating he's happened. And you know, he was bleeding and bruised. His eye was probably almost out of its socket. I mean, he's, he's messed up. And he manages to worship Christ every other sentence. You know, this man had joy. Do you have that kind of joy? Did you ha- do you have that kind of joy this week when bad things happen? Do we have that kind of joy as a church, as believers? And he finds joy in Jesus. And he sees, guys, there's joy in the midst of suffering. And the theme throughout this entire book is that joy is found by being in un- unity and likeness with Christ. And he tells this church, no matter what comes, no matter what happens, always be rejoicing. Look with me in Philippians 2, and we'll go down to verse 17. It says this. He says, make my joy complete. Everybody say complete. We're talking about complete joy this morning. Paul had joy. He had joy in Jesus. He says, guys, make my joy complete. What do you mean, Paul? I thought you were joyful in Jesus. He says, guys, make my joy complete. What is complete joy? He says, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now go to verse 17 and 18. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering up on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Now, Paul is experiencing joy because he believes this church is growing in the Lord. All right. He says, but there's one thing I need from you to make my joy in the midst of this suffering complete. And that is that you would strive to be like Jesus. It makes my heart Man, I am in prison and I'm rejoicing in the Lord. But guys, if I could just hear that you are going to put Jesus first in your life, my joy, I can end this life completely full of joy because I want you to know Jesus. There's one thing I want to know before I die a horrible death is that somebody I love, loves Jesus. There's nothing else in the world that could give me satisfaction except for knowing that people I love, love Jesus. What makes your joy complete? You see, I think today we're missing out on something here in Scripture in the modern church that we think joy is all about stuff or good times or fleeting happiness, or when Jesus makes my life easier, or better, or more positive, or less bad, okay? But Paul says, what I'm looking for in the midst of shipwreck, beatings, snake bites, bruises, abandonment, loneliness, cold, and peril, and hunger, is that you love Jesus. That is what I'm looking for and will make my joy completely full is that I want to see you win. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I want to see you win. I want to see you win. Now, look in verse 17. I'm going to read it in a different translation. He says it this way in New Living. He says, 
Guys, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, even if I poured out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service, your life is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I'll share your joy. Paul, what are you talking about? Joy in the midst of suffering? Paul, you're happy, you're joyful, you're about to die, dude. Nobody cares about you. You're lost, you're alone, you're beaten, you're bruised, you're abandoned. People hate you, Paul, yet you rejoice. And you want me to have some of that joy? Dude, you crazy. Why would I want to have anything to do with what you're going through? He says, no, 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 seriously, guys, I'm having a horrible time here. I want you to share in this. How many people want that message on Sunday morning? Hey, guys, can I spread my horrible times around with you? Can I, can I share this filth of my life? Happy, happy. No, he's like, no, I want to literally, I want you to share this joy with me. And when you understand this joy, I'll share in it with you. What are we trading bad Christmas here? What's going on? I mean, give me your bad stuff and then you're going to share your bad stuff with us. Paul, I, I don't want this. What are you talking about? He's like, but this is what complete joy is really all about. You see, we have joy in knowing the Lord, and that's where it all begins. But there's this fullness, there's this complete joy. It's a working joy. It's a joy of labor and of love. But when you finally understand it, And at the end of my life, I really get it where fullness of joy comes from. It's where my heart has been fully united with Jesus's heart. When I love what Jesus loves and when he sent his love for me and what it is, church, is that Jesus so loved you, he died for you. And now, church, I so love you. I'll die for you. And it's going to make my joy so full when I hope that you understand what real love in Christ is all about. I'm I'm so invested in you. I'm so loving of my church, of of the church that Jesus Christ died for. You got to think about this. Paul knew he could die at any day. In the climax of his ministry, he says, is now a cause for rejoicing. He says that my own life is now a sacrifice in the interest of your spiritual development. He's rejoicing and suffering, even laying down his life. He says that your success, church, in Christ gives me joy. And what he's saying, he says, church, when you win, I win. I hope that at Sanctuary, we are creating a culture that we can look to someone across the aisle and say, when you win, I win. You see, there's a lot of selfishness in our culture, man. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of division. But if we could have a church that I could look to anyone in this audience and say, man, when you win, I win. Sister, when you win, I win. Wouldn't you want to be a part of a family like that? That when you come into a place like this, it says, Guys, I am for you. Man, I want you to be so full of Jesus. And man, when you get a hold of Jesus and his love for you, man, it makes my joy full. I want you to win. Turn to your neighbor and say, I want you to win. Is that true? 
Are we a part of a church from that says, man, I love you, man, and I want you to win. I'm here for you. I lay my life down for you. And Paul's saying this. He says, guys, can you end your life and say, thank God I've done something for Christ that's worth something. When you end your life on this earth and God calls you home, will you be able to say, thank God I've done something worth something? You see that filing paperwork that you have? That's good for that office stay. At the end of your life, that's not what you're going to be thinking about. It's not going to be that you built so many great things or you acquired so much in your 401k or that you went to all these traveling places or you did all these great things or even that your kids are on this team or that team or that trophy or that your, that your kids are in the paper or that you did all these things and acquired these great things. But at the end of your life, what are you going to offer Christ? And Paul says, God, at the end of my life, I have the Philippian church. God, they got it. And they make my joy complete because they love you. And I can end my life and say, rejoice in the Lord. I can give this to Jesus. And God is good. Let me give you four things before we end. That's this. Four things... As we ask ourselves this question, do you win when you help your church be more like Jesus? Do you win when your church wins? And do you know a joy that comes from sacrificing so others can know Jesus more? You see, I think the first thing that we put up in our guard is someone asks you, hey, do you want to be a door greeter? Uh, you know, I don't know. That doesn't sound real joyful to me. You want to be an usher? You want to work in our kids' department? How about the nursery? And everybody says, oh, no. Right? But do we know a joy that comes from helping others know Jesus? He says, this is the completeness of Christian joy. When you sacrifice so that others will know him. There's a fullness of joy there that many people don't have. Very few Christians, I think, in America have this joy. Very, very few Christians have the knowledge of a spiritual completed joy because they're not invested in sacrifice so that someone else knows Jesus. Give me four things that's going to make your joy complete. Number one is this. True Christians find joy in putting Jesus first. Number one, true Christians find joy in putting Jesus first. It can't come vice versa. You can't work your way into this joy. You can't serve as a worship team member, usher, greeter in the kids' team, or, or go on a missions trip and think that it's going to work it out, that if you work your way into serving, you're going to have true joy. That's not how it works. The first step is true Christians find their joy in Jesus first. And it goes like this, Philippians 3.1, he says, guys, Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, is in a safeguard to you. You see, Paul's joy came from being united with Jesus, even in his likeness, even to death. He says, guys, I can tell you over and over again, rejoice in the Lord, because here's what's going on. My hope is not in my efforts, but it's in what Christ has done for me. My hope, my joy comes in the grace that I've experienced in Christ. My joy, my hope comes from knowing there's a blessed hope that Jesus is coming again. My joy is completely found first in identifying and knowing 
Jesus. And that's why he can say, guys, rejoice in what? The Lord always. If you don't find joy in Jesus, you'll never find joy anywhere. That's the first step. He says it's only in Christ alone. Number two is this. Where number one is true Christians find joy in putting Jesus first. Number two is true Christians find joy in loving the church. Look what he says in chapter 1, verse 3. Real quick here. He says, I thank God in my remembrance for you, always offering prayer with joy. In my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day to now, I'm confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you is going to perfect it to the day of Christ Jesus. For it's only right for me to feel this way about you all. Here's this. Because I have you in my heart. Think about that. Guys, I might die, but I'm confident that Jesus is going to keep this thing going in you. I thank God with joy every time I think. I think about those potlucks we had with sister so-and-so. I think about the memories we had in the altar praying together. I think about those outreaches we did together. I think about the emotional times in our prayer meetings where God just swept across the room and we bonded together. I think about laughing together at so-and-so, brother or sister so-and-so's house, and we had cookies and coffee, and just the joy of the Lord was there, and we just felt the Holy Spirit coming down because we were invested to one another. We love one another. The world thought we were crazy charismatic outcast, but man, together, I think of you with joy. I'm in prison right now, smiling when I think about my home church. Do you love your home church that much? I'm not talking about this program we call sanctuary. I'm talking about these people across the aisle. I'm talking about the lives that we're invested into one another. He says, guys, when I think of you, and I think of those people at my church, I get joyful. I get happy. See, the problem in American church is no one takes the time to get invested anymore. We don't stick around to have coffee as much as we used to back in the days. We don't invite people over for dinner or lunch. We don't call people or go visit them in the hospital when they're sick. We expect a paid staff member to do it. We don't know about what's going on in their life. We see them passing and coming. We sit on the back row. We leave before the altar calls even finish. And, and we don't know the joy that Paul's talking about. And I think we're missing out on something in the modern church. He says, this is called complete joy, working joy. He says, my joy is made complete when I think about how much I love my church family, how much I've seen them grow and where the church is going. He says, I think about the first day I introduced Jesus to you. And I know that, man, that process has come along. And I, I thank God for where our church has come and gone. And I think where it's going to go to, even after I'm dead, I think about what God's going to take in. What God's going to do in your life just makes me smile. Do you have that relationship with people in this room? People in your small group? or People that you call family in this church? Because true Christians find joy in loving the church. He says, guys, I have you in my heart. You know what the Bible says is where your treasure is? There your heart will be also. How many people treasure your church? Your church family. You know, you cannot separate joy in the church from joy in the Lord. I think Paul knew this. You cannot, listen to me this morning, you cannot expect to have joy in Jesus and not be joyful about being the church. Jesus is the head. The church is his body. It's one person. You understand? Spiritually speaking, you cannot be a happy, joyful Christian and not joyfully be a part of the church. You see, selfish Christianity says, I can come and get my Jesus fixed and be in my own little happy bubble in life. 
false, you'll find that fleeting and depressing and you'll think Christianity is fake because you've not invested yourself in what Jesus is most invested in. Jesus is most invested in his church. Jesus died for his church. Jesus is coming back for his church. And if you don't love the church, ergo, you don't love Jesus. If you're not invested in the church, ergo, you're not invested in Jesus. Can I be honest with you as a pastor this morning? I know many of, this, many of you here are phenomenal in this area. I want you to help transmit this message to a lost and dying world, many of which who claim to be Christian but fail to know the joy of the Lord because they don't know it's not just about them and Jesus, it's about us and Jesus. Somebody say amen. Number three is this. True Christians find joy in helping the church win. He says, guys, number chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, guys, my beloved brethren whom I long to see, you are my joy and my crown. You know what the word crown there means? It means a wreath of victory. He says, guys, when you win, I win. You are the reason I will go to prison because I love Jesus and because Jesus loves you. And because I have experienced that love that Jesus has for you, I will, Jesus died for you, I'll die for you. You are my victory. You in Christ, because of who you are, as his body, as his bride. He says, make my joy complete by being like Jesus. He cared if his church made it. You know, what happens, though, in the world today is that churches disappoint people. There's a verse in this letter, Paul says, he says, you guys, you tried to come to me once before, but you didn't make it, and I understand that now, but I'm glad you came. You know, churches can disappoint. We're people, after all, we're sin-born people, we make mistakes, we fail each other. But he still said, guys, despite any failure or any shortcoming on your part, I really do care if you win. And the question is, well, you and I, as a church family, bind together and say, in this coming year, you know what, I, I know that this family, this thing we call church may disappoint me at times, but at the end of the day, it's not about me. I'm invested in this family knowing Jesus more. I, I care if this church makes it. Not the idea and the logo and the, the 501c3 called sanctuary. I care if this people in this audience, I want them to be in heaven with me. I want them to, to know Jesus more. I care that their children are discipled and know, so I'll be a part of their student ministry. I care that there's someone there to cradle those babies so those single moms can come in and hear the gospel. I care that about that single mom, so I'll serve in the nursery. I'll, I care that people come into our church and they're greeted with warm coffee and joy and smiles, so I'll be a greeter. I care that we have an experience with God in worship and music, so I'll, if I had the gift, I'll be a part of the worship team. Or I care that our discipleship and that we have a biblical truth of morality in these last evil days. So I'll teach a Sunday school class or a small group because I'm invested in these people knowing Jesus. He says, you want your joy complete? It's identifying with Christ. And lastly is this. True Christians find joy in working for God's will. Look in chapter 4, verse 12, and this is, I'll wrap it up with this. He says, I know how to live almost on nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's a full stomach or empty with plenty or little. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. 
the joy of the Lord is our strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me joy. Paul would say later on, he would say, few people are content with what they have in this world, though, even in good times. And he says, you know what? For many people in the days that we live, their God is their appetite, and they only think about life on earth. But he says, I've discovered something else. Something else that makes everything in this life worth garbage. He said, it's the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. He says that I've anything... Even if I have to suffer with him and know him in the fellowship of his suffering, if by any means I could attain the resurrection to see him face to face, it's worth it. Because Jesus is joy. Somebody say, Jesus is joy. He says, guys, even at the end of my life, through sacrifice, suffering, and pain, it's all worth it. Even if God leads me by His Spirit to sacrifice, it's worth it. My joy is complete because Christians care about Christ's church. You see, we have talked in this series this whole month about catching the joy, expecting joy, digging deep for joy, abiding in joy, having the hope-filled joy of tomorrow, all those things you can listen to. But the last thing that Paul leads out, he says, guys, all that is true. But complete joy in this life is when you care for Christ's church. Because Christ cares. It's not about, it's not about me. It's not about the program. It's not about a church. It's not, about, it's not even really about being a greeter or an usher or a nursery person or a worship team member. It's that I care about what Christ cares about. I've spent time with him, or you've spent time with him, and we've spent time with him, that he shares his heart with us. And if you want to have complete joy, you'll let Jesus share his heart with you. And complete joy is found in caring for Christ's church.